What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode for you. We start off by breaking down the bludgeoning that Deontay Wilder took at the hands of Tyson Fury and what that means for him going forward. Next, we debate whether or not the NFL Combine is an accurate way to determine the value of incoming players or if it is simply a waste of time. Plus, we go over the latest reports on CBA negotiations between players and owners in the NFL and whether we think this will get done before a player's holdout occurs. Lastly, we address rumors of Tom Brady's agent taking meetings with other teams and speculate what spots make the most sense for him to sign. All that and much more coming your way right now. to get to on this week's show, so we're going to just jump right in. Um, I want to first start off by talking about the uh, biggest storyline from this weekend, and that would be uh, Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2. This was hyped up to be probably the fight of the century, uh, but definitely the fight of the decade, and um, it didn't live up to hype. So, Nick, I just want to get your thoughts and, and see what you thought of the fight. You know, we watched it together, but, uh, you know, I want to hear what you thought. I mean, yeah, like you said, this was supposed to be the biggest fight of the 21st century, if not one of the biggest fights ever in boxing. You know, we have finally two titans clashing in the heavyweight division, something we haven't seen in many, many years. This is a fight that didn't have this the right conclusion last time they fought. And this was the, the fight to end all the talk to put everything to bed. And it was supposed to be a fight that we, we should have just been in awe of, of the, the way they're boxing, the way they fought and everything like that. It wasn't, it was pure domination from one side. And even at that point, it was a lot of grabbing and just, you know, slouching around for most most of the time because one side of the fight couldn't hold up their, their end of the bargain. And unfortunately, it all started in the first round when Deontay Wilder took that right hook to the ear and created that two-centimeter cut, which just profusely bled for the entire fight, threw off his balance so bad uh and it just it led to a complete dominant victory by tyson fury yeah i mean we saw we also saw tyson fury kind of flip the roles right so this is something that you and i talked about but you know tyson fury is known as a, a tactician right he's known as a defensive boxer a lot of the time i mean he can do both he can be an attacker and he can be defensive uh that that's what makes him so great at what he does and what we saw in the first fight is that he kind of let Deontay Wilder dictate the pace. He dictated the attacking, um, you know, and he felt like he kept getting back down and a lot of things weren't going the way he wanted to. And that, But that was uh, just poor game planning on his part going into that fight. Now he completely role reversed and he became the attacker. And he said he basically said to Wilder, I'm I'm going to make you become defensive and tactful and see if you have the skills to to do that because I know you can attack. Let's see if you can defend as well. And I think we we saw a lot of Deontay Wilder's uh raw side where you know he's not his his game isn't polished by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and but that's I, that's I, the biggest knock on him is that he's not a real boxer. He's he's a pure athlete, but he stepped into this game handpicked a lot of his opponents and it, the script was kind of written for him to be a huge star in boxing. And now he's finally getting exposed because he's going up against real talent. 
Oh, I, 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 you can't say he was getting exp- like I I understand what you're saying, but you can't say getting exposed. And I'm not I'm not saying you said this, but they can't say he got exposed because he lost to Tyson Fury. We're talking about the last person. Oh, I believe he was the last person to unify all the belts, right? Yeah. So I mean, you know, this isn't this isn't a slouch. This is a huge name in the boxing world. This is somebody that you know people try to measure up to and try to become this person. Um, you know, Deontay Wilder just got bested by somebody who beat him before they even got into the ring. His game plan was to completely roll reverse, and it worked in right. his favor. But but it's more than that because you have to think. Tyson Fury has been doing this for so much longer than him at such a high level. Don't forget, Tyson Fury was one of the biggest boxers before he left for a few years to, you know, fix his his mental health and everything. Uh, he, you know, beat, beat Klitschko to unify the belts or to become the lineal champ. He uh, had was the unified champ, and he lost it all. And he had to climb his way back. He ballooned up to i think they said 400 pounds and you know he then for the first tyson fury wilder fight he dropped all the way down to 250 that's 150 pound difference he never fought at that level even before he had uh you know was stripped of his titles he was fighting around the weight he did now around 270 pounds that's what he's most comfortable at and before you know between this fight uh, be- between the Tyson Fury one and two uh, against Wilder, mm-hmm. he switched his entire team, got rid of all of his coaches. He hired a nutritionist. He actually had 10 coaches on his side that he hired. He had the best of the best in his corner to teach him everything he didn't, he needed to know and how to, how to beat Deontay Wilder. Meanwhile, Deontay Wilder, he's so ingrained into his roots. He just stuck with the same coaches, the same cut man, Everything is the same since day one. He has never changed, and he never will. And the thing, the problem with that is his coaches have become so friendly with him, and they're just they're they're not willing to push him as much as a coach and a trainer needs to. They need you need to be ruthless. You need to do what's best for the for the fighter, and not what they like. It's not never yeah. going to be what they like. Well, and, I, I think, but that's I, what hurts him so much. Well, I I also think that. You know, with, with Deontay Wilder, <clears throat> he he kind of rests on his his athleticism, and I think that can lull him to sleep when it comes to preparing for a fight. Because if you if you look at it right, most of his fights he is clearly the dominant athlete. What you know, the result aside, he it, like just he is a dominant, a premier athlete compared to that person. Then you put somebody who is at the level of Tyson Fury, who has the training, the expertise, the grit, the grind, the focus, and the determination all on his side, that's going to beat out pure athleticism, especially when that pure athleticism didn't seem like they were into the fight to begin with. I mean, from where I stood, um, I saw a different side of Deontay Wilder. When When I watched the first fight between these two, it, I, I could see a level of determination that Deontay Wilder wanted to uh, really push and continue to make his name and ingrain himself in history by coming out and trying to beat somebody like Tyson Fury. But then this fight, it just seemed like he was there for more of a show and more of a payday than he was to to actually win. And, you know, it, it, it just seemed like his priorities were not in line for this fight yeah i mean that that definitely played a huge part he you need to be self-disciplined and self-motivated to get the results you want especially when you're fighting the best of the best and you're you tell the world that you are the best in the world you need to go and prove day in and day out that's exactly who you are and it just seemed that he, he just he wasn't in that mindset. And I think that's something that he needs to go and and kind of find himself again. Just take a step back. Remember where you came from. I know he's, you know, he hasn't changed much about where he's come from, but I think that he's gotten in his head a little bit about 
just all the talk. He's talked so much in his oh, career. The, I think it's well, finally talk, catching up with him. He talked so much leading up to this fight. I mean, t- talking about how this was going to be where he caught a body and, you know, this was going to be the fight where he shows the world exactly what he's made of. I, he did so much talking before this that he just needs to shut his mouth and get back in the gym and continue to work. Right, that, but that's something, that's something you don't really understand because... Well, uh, uh, that Deontay Wilder doesn't understand because when he he has talked so much in the last few years and he has been able to back it up, but he's never faced anybody like Tyson Fury. Well, and Tyson that's Fury my point. is one of the most sound boxers there is, and nobody in the in boxing is in the heavyweight division is like Tyson Fury. He is one of a kind. Right. And well, and the thing is, is right. You know, when when I saw the tale of the tape, right, we're looking at a six foot seven versus six foot nine guy. So, I mean, there, there's a clear distinction with, with height and reach on Tyson Fury side, but the biggest discrepancy to me came in the weight. You're talking about, what was it? A 40 pound difference. It's a 42 pound difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's absolutely absurd when you're thinking about boxing, because as, as strong as you can possibly be, when you're talking about the premier names in your division, a 40 pound difference is going to make a lot of difference. The, pa- the, the power of a punch from somebody who's 40 pounds less than you is not going to be nearly the same as what you can do to them. And I, I think that's a, I think that's something that obviously these guys knew what they were getting into, but I think it was definitely something that they should look at like, Hey, this doesn't seem to, this didn't seem right to me. It just didn't seem like, uh, Deontay Wilder was was in the same the class that he should have been. Right, but that's that's where there's a lot of you know that's where Deontay Wilder is very different from a lot of boxers. With a lot of boxers, um, especially in the heavyweight class, they have a very wide stance. They're not using a lot of leg power because they don't have to. They're so big in their upper body that they can just use the full force of their their arms and their upper body to to get behind their punches. Deontay Wilder. Yeah, he's a big guy, um, but he also uses a lot of his legs to to push into his into his uh, punches, and that's what gives him a lot more power. That knockout power that has scared a lot of fighters, and that that's where he made his name with with that power. And it all comes from his legs. When you have someone like Tyson Fury, he's able to keep his you know that wide stance and use all of that weight that he has, all two hundred and seventy three pounds that he has built up it's it's not like it's all you know fat or anything like there's a lot of muscle on this guy he has no, worked absolutely. with a nutritionist for the last you know five or six months and he has really gotten his body maybe not in a physical like the the physique that you know a, a, an athlete typically has but he has the body that he needs for him to get the, to be as effective as he needs to be in the in the ring and to find that within yourself to know exactly what you need is is critical that that's exactly how you know you're in the right mindset you, you're you're in the right physical uh you know shape you need to be and, and you know how how to use it to the best of your ability you no know, taking all those factors into account that's what makes uh just a well-rounded boxer minus the um the technical aspect of it just being able to know your body as well as you can. And, you know, going back to Deontay Wilder with um, him using his legs and his power, we saw early on, I think he landed three headshots and they did absolutely just three right hooks to to Tyson Fury and they did pretty much nothing. Didn't phase him at all. And it almost looked like he like, you know, he got tickled a little bit. That was pretty much how he just brushed it off. Wasn't much of a flinch at all. And, but that, that's where Tyson, uh, where afterward Deontay Wilder had talked about some issues with his legs. All right. And let's get, let's get into that in a second. Okay. Uh, I want to, so obviously, um, and if you want to explain it, I'll let you do it. Um, tell it, just tell us what, what Wilder said about his legs. So Wilder said there, there were some issues that came up, um, before the fight 
and it came up uh, later on in in interviews that his, his coaches also talked about. He was wearing uh, a costume that was forty pounds of metal and diamonds and lights, and with the amount of time that he was wearing that uh, costume, he has to, he had to put it on. He had to wait for Tyson Fury's entrance, which took about six, seven minutes. And then he had to go through his enti- his entrance himself, which took another six, seven minutes to get to the ring. By the time he got it off, he was wearing that for about 20 minutes. You're wearing 40 pounds of weight for 20 minutes. That's just something he wasn't used to. And I, I, I see where he's coming from, but it's still no excuse. He, he had gotten himself into a place where that much weight on his body was something that was so foreign that he what he it's not something he trained with at all or even just put on at all. you know that was the first time he's ever put on the costume and when he got to the ring he had wasted so much of his energy keeping his body upright with 40 pounds he is a 230 pound man at wearing you know a sixth of his body weight. Uh, it's just that that's not good for your legs, which are small to begin with are only used to carrying a certain amount of weight. And when you throw on a sizable amount of weight like that in no time at all, and you're telling your body to hold it, that's like holding, you know, go to the gym, hold a 40 pound, uh, plate, for 20 minutes and let me know how your arms or and your legs feel after that it, it's not going to feel the same and so that that played a huge impact uh in this fight and i i that's why i say i understand where he's coming from but he <clears throat> needs he needs to know that coming into the fight how this is going to impact his body he's you know what? so many people they somebody needs to understand the impacts of wearing a weighted suit like that weighted you know costume what? You know what? Wilder ought to be ashamed of himself because there is to say to come out and say that this costume that you chose to wear, that you came up with, that you like basically developed and and helped create this. This is what caused you to lose or was partially due uh, as a cause for you to lose. Come the fuck on that. There is that is the most ridiculous excuse i have heard in a long time in any sport because what the way he's acted since since this whole fight has gone down i mean he he's just acting like a petulant child to in my opinion i i don't i don't like the fact that he's blaming a costume because he's worn these costumes before he understands what goes into him and if if it was so heavy and if it was so much then you need to do something about it. Tyson Fury had people freaking carry him to the to the ring. I mean, you need to have this prepared. And if you're talking about waiting 20 minutes with this costume on, then change it up. I mean, this is this is something you have to have un, a basic understanding of going into a fight. And then you get your face rocked for I don't know, we made it to 7 rounds, so for six rounds, he got rocked. Uh, you're blaming the fact that a costume wore down your legs. I can point to about five or six other things that look terrible from my from my point of view about that fight on his side, and it wasn't just his legs. He looked like he was completely lost out there, and obviously, it had to do a lot with the the injury you talked about beforehand, where where uh, he had the inner ear issue, uh, which threw off his balance. But then. You know, it's just, to me, he's coming up with excuses, and he's not taking the loss like a man. And and oh, it's hard for well, me to that, say that's that. That's where I need to push back a little bit, because I think he did take the loss like a man. He admitted right away he he got beat by the better boxer that night, and he, he did praise Tyson Fury uh, properly. You know, he, he did it. Yeah, that was he, that night, but now we're talking about everything that's happened since then. And it's all been about excuses about why he lost. But but there's a reason for that. He has a rematch clause in the contract, and he already invoked it. And so he's back on that media grind of hyping up the third fight. You can't. You're not going to be like, 
I'm going to fight this guy, but he's the better boxer. He's probably going to win. No, you have to build up the, you have to psych yourself up. And why do you need to speak to the media at all? You just got your ass handed to you because it's not over. It's not over in three or four months. We're going to see this fight again. And and it's, this is going to be so recent in everybody's memory that he needs to kind of put in everybody's mind that he is not out of it this isn't over he still has a shot well he's absolutely rubbed me the wrong way with how he's handled the the loss because i just i can't imagine you know putting my loss on the fact that i chose to wear a costume and it just happened to be too heavy and i had to wear it for 20 minutes and uh then i had to walk you know no Uh, but these are lessons 20 yards these are lessons that he is learning and things that he will change and you've watched you know Deontay Wilder for a few years now and he has gone he's gone bigger and better with every single fight uh in relation to his costume he wears more diamonds on his face a more elaborate mask now he added an entire bodysuit which he he's had shoulder pads in the past but nothing with this much weight on it. And that's where I I just, I understand it. It's just, I, I don't like that that's what happened. It, it, it's no, it really is no excuse. And that, that's where I agree with you. I just, I understand where everybody is coming from in this situation. Every, every side makes sense, whether y- you, you know, I, you understand the impacts of uh, a weighted vest like that or you know the implications that it has on your your fight that uh, that's coming up it these are things that he will remember and that he will you know improve on uh moving forward i expect him to i i expect him and i would also like him to take an ent- entirely different approach come out with pretty much nothing on if you want to wear a subtle mask or whatever fine but don't come out with anything super elaborate there's no need humble yourself i you you well, got just he better start to humbling roots. himself well he he better start humbling himself because tyson fury's not afraid to humble him him in in the same way he just did i mean it, it's that simple tyson fury he's not going to give up the belt easily and then you're talking about you know uh, uh this rematch clause this is it Honestly, if if it's not if he doesn't win this fight, I I think he's done. He, he I think he retires from boxing because they, you can't come back from that at this point. But it's not it, it's not even about coming back from this because if he loses, well, there's nowhere this, to go. Right, exactly. There's nothing else in store for him. It's all about Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua at that point. There's nothing else to see here. You know, it, Tyson Fury would have beaten him two out of three times. Right. It would, and, he would have an 0-2-1 record against Fury. And then the fight we all really wanted to see was going to be him against Joshua for a unification title, right? We're never going to get that opportunity if he can't beat Fury. Right. And even at that point, it, it's not that cut and dry, especially with Anthony Joshua. The, Anthony Joshua has a lot of... Um, personal things that he he brings into these contract negotiations that has pushed off this fight. We should have seen Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder two years ago. And because Anthony Joshua wants to complain about how much he how much of the purse he is getting and where the fight is located, he 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 has just made a mockery of the sport. And that's where Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury have actually revitalized it because they just of how their their pure power and their their willingness to to do what they need to 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 fight and because that's what that's what the sport of boxing needs it needs these guys to fight put everything aside it's not always about the money you're still getting paid plenty of money it does the Tyson Fury has shown that the location doesn't matter he has won in Vegas twice so far yeah, and his his following i mean they have followed him really well um, you're talking oh about- yeah his following is incredible at the weigh-ins he was he had so much praise it was incredible and the booze that deontay wilder was getting was unbelievable you would have never if you didn't hear them speak you would have thought deontay wilder was from england not tyson fury 
or you would have thought that they were being weighed in in the UK. Like that. Uh, yeah, that's something where, like that. You, yeah. It's just it was it was unbelievable. Um, but I, I truly expect a different result in the third fight. I think that Tyson Fury is going he's he's I think he's shown everything he has to offer because he stood in the first fight he he was his defensive self and this fight he did a 180 was on the attack the entire time so now let it's me time ask for you this Deontay Wilder to fix his defense and, and you know become more technically sound there and then uh be able to figure out you know look at the tape figure out what Tyson Fury was doing well, where his weaknesses are. You have two different styles on him, and that should be plenty to to figure out a good, solid game plan going into the third fight. All right, so d- quickly, because we, we do have to move on, mm-hmm. right? If Deontay Wilder somehow beats Tyson Fury, where the hell do we go from there? Because then the the it's literally one, one, and one. Right, so at that point... I think the the right move would be for Deontay Wilder to go fight Anthony Joshua and someone unify the belt, and then the winner of that go back and fight Tyson Fury. I think that makes the most sense because Tyson Fury is still the lineal champ. We're not going to get a new lineal champ without someone unifying these belts. Have the At that point, you'd have the old lineal champ versus the new one. And, so you're so you're telling me you're it. telling me that for Deontay Wilder to get back on top in in boxing, he needs to win a fight against Tyson Fury, then he needs to go win against Anthony Joshua, and then he needs to go back and win again against Tyson Fury. I'm not saying he has to win uh, again against Tyson Fury. I think if he unifies the belt, I think that's enough. I'm just saying say for him to get on top. No, I I disagree because he's at that point. You can't say that he is definitively better than Tyson Fury just because he won um, one and lo- he I mean, he got rocked. You have to understand he got absolutely demolished what, in this. But fight. what happens if Tyson Fury gets rocked in the next one? What, what then it's then it's even. That's what I'm saying. You can't say Wilder's on top. Be- if then it just becomes even at that point. He's got, he's got to fight to become even again, and that that's what I'm trying to say is that he's got to he's got to go through. Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and then Tyson Fury for a fourth time just to just to be recognized as the number one boxer in the heavyweight division again. I think that's... But that, I don't think there's anything else right now, especially in the heavyweight division. Right now, it's the three of them. Andy Ruiz, to, in my opinion, is out. He, he had his yes, 15 seconds done. of fame, and it's time for him to go. He made He made his money in Saudi Arabia... It's time he should probably just retire. I mean, and, if somebody else comes up, that well, that's there fine. are there there are a couple people on the rise in the heavyweight division, but it takes it takes a while to develop yourself in, in boxing. You don't just come out of nowhere. You might you might be you know known to you know true boxing fans, but if you want to make real money and be a fighter against a, a known opponent, you have to take your time. You need to build up your resume against in smaller fights you need to you need to have at least 25 you know fight professional fights under your belt before and people you better start be taking you 25 seriously. and 0 or 24 and 0 and 1 oh yeah there that's the thing with box that's the most ridiculous thing with boxing is you have to have an undefeated record right Freak it's not happen MMA. all the time and anything could happen at any moment. We almost saw it with Tyson Fury, where he got his eye completely ripped open, and it was almost stopped due to uh, you know it, whether the the doctors wanted to stop it or not. Luckily, they didn't, and it went to the cards, and Tyson Fury won, which you know was the right result. But that could have derailed everything. We would have never seen Wilder Fury two at that point. It would have been all about AJ versus Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury would have taken a huge step back. Anything can happen at any moment. And, and that's, that's why I think you need to go through that vetting process as a young up-and-coming boxer before people start really taking you seriously. All right. Um, I, I agree. But we, we do have to move on. So I, I, am, I, I would say just end it. We are, we are looking forward to the rematch. Uh, I'll definitely be watching it. I highly suggest everybody else watches it because it is 
basically a career fight for Deontay Wilder. This will either allow him to continue or this will be the end of his career. I mean, it it doesn't get you can't put much more on the line than that uh, in in professional sports. So uh, I would definitely suggest everybody go out and, and watch the rematch. We're expecting probably the end of June, early July, thinking about a July 4th type fight. Um, so it would be very interesting to see uh, if that all pans out. Um, but one thing, I, I, I want to transition sports a little bit. Uh, you talking about uh, young people who have to prove themselves. Well, in the news recently, we've had a young person that hasn't had the chance to prove himself just yet, um, but he's already getting knocks against him, and that would be uh, former LSU Tiger quarterback Joe Burrow. Uh, there was a report that came out that his hands measured in at uh, nine inches, which is the smallest, I believe you said, in the last decade or so. Um, yeah, last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. So for any first-round uh, quarterback. Correct. So we're talking about uh, hands the size of, of nine inches from uh, tip of pinky to tip of thumb uh, stretched out. And then um, there were some reports that said, should the Bengals be worried? Should they draft him? Should they continue on this process? I, I'm going to throw it to you um, because I, I'm a little confused as to why people would start all of a sudden with this. But go ahead. Uh, I mean, this, what they do at the combine when measuring every part of your body, it, it's a waste of everybody's time. You could probably reduce the combine by a day because things like this spark media outrage because it's just something to talk about. But it, it, in the eyes of the Bengals who are most likely going to draft him, this means absolutely nothing. I've heard uh, former players come out who had smaller hands say, the only time it's really an issue is in high humidity weather. Well, Cincinnati is not a high humidity place, so okay. he's he's perfectly fine there. So you're saying uh, the Dolphins but, shouldn't draft him? <laughs> <laughs> the Dolphins might want to stay away, but you know what? Actually, they shouldn't. You know why? He played for LSU in the Bayou, and what place is more humid than the Bayou? I, I don't know many places. So I think he with the way he played there, and he had no issues. I I believe I know the the college football and the NFL football are different, but I think the NCAA football is more. It's wider. I it believe. is wider. Yeah, no, it is wider. So it's, it's shorter, but it's wider. Right. So that means it's harder to hold. It's harder to get your hand around that and to get a tighter spiral. I think he'll have a perfectly fine time adjusting to the NFL football. Um, and and it, this is a non-issue. The Bengals should not be worried. They're not worried. Uh, this is all media hype. Joe Burrow, joke. You know, I'm glad he took he took this the perfect way. Went on Twitter and joked about retiring because oh, the world thinks I have too small of a hands to play football. Might as well quit while I'm uh, you know ahead. So it was it was the perfect response. The sarcasm just you know proves that he's he's a human. He he's uh, just. The, I just like the he's way he's not taking he it too seriously. Right, exactly. Yeah, he he's not letting this you know affect affect him in any way. And then you you have the outpouring of support from other quarterbacks in the league like Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff who have smaller hands and look at all the success they've had. You know, one's Super Bowl MVP and the other one made the Super Bowl the year before. These are players. You know, maybe teams should start looking at quarterbacks with smaller hands maybe well, that's and the, that's the thing you, you talk about Patrick Mahomes he's got nine and a quarter inch hands so a quarter inch bigger than Joe Burrow Tom Brady 9.38 inches um you know there are some quarterbacks with pretty big hands you look at the likes of Drew Brees and Russell Wilson they have 10 and a half inch uh wide hands that I mean they got big hands <laughs> you know um but that but that's what shows that hand size means absolutely nothing Right. There's I mean, no correlation whatsoever. Exactly. It, you know, if you were to knock a quarterback about their height, okay, I can understand. Some quarterbacks do struggle. You know, if you were to throw um, Kyler Murray behind somebody like Alejandro Villanueva, the left tackle for the Steelers, who's six foot nine, and Kyler Murray is what, 5'10, 5'11, something like that, yeah, he might struggle throwing to the left side a little bit. But you know what? He, you know, those are things that. You're going to have to figure out hand size, I think. And and this is 
this leads me into the the real question I want to get into. Do you think that the combine is a true measurement of what these players can do, or are because I I truly believe that this is a a waste of everyone's time. I, only, I well, refer only... to it. I refer to it as the uh, the bra and panties show because that's basically what it is. Everybody's running around in the un- in their underwear. I've heard people call it the underwear Olympics. Um, it, I mean, it, that's basically what it is. It's it's just these these kids. I mean, that let's call them what they are. These kids that are running around in in spandex trying to show you that they can run and catch a ball, like them doing it on a college football field didn't show you any anything. Like, I don't understand why we put so much stock into the draft, into the combine. No, there's only a few things that really matter at the combine, and the biggest one being the 40-yard dash. But for an offensive lineman, what does the 40-yard dash mean? When was the last time you saw an offensive lineman run 40 yards down the field on a single play? Well, it doesn't, and, but it why, doesn't happen. Like, what do you need to see an offensive lineman do a, a, a standing broad jump or, or just a standing vertical jump? If I saw my center do a standing vertical jump during a play, I'd punch him in the throat. Yeah, I, I was uh, listening to NFL Network earlier, and they were talking about Warren Sapp, who couldn't bench 225 pounds, but was one of the most disruptive defensive tackles of all time. You, you, it's more than just, you know, if you can't, you know, measure a defensive player by their bench press or anything like that, it's their, you have to take the entire body into account. It doesn't, the, they're so arbitrary. A lot of these, uh, these drills that they do, they don't, you, there's nothing you can really take away from them unless you're looking for pure athleticism in some aspects. And if you look back a few years, Obi Melifonwu, who completely excelled in the combine you made his draft stock go from a third and fourth round to a second round uh he was drafted by the raiders then he was uh cut and then re-signed by the the patriots and he's been on the practice squad for the last two years it's just somebody who proved that the the combine doesn't show that you're a real nfl football player no, and I think a lot of people put too much stock into into something like the combine. I mean, if you're looking at throw, like some of the drills that they run, right? Okay, I can see some of those things being being important. You know, talking about offensive line drills, the way they shuffle their feet, um, you know, things like that. I I truly understand that, but you see that in the in the senior bowl, you see that at their pro day. We don't need to have one event that. I mean, you think about it, you're not seeing every single person, right? As a, as a scout, you're, you're there, but you're not watching every single offensive lineman. You're, you have your eye on a few. You're going to pay attention. I mean, you have some coaches who, who help participate in the drills, and they can – like uh, I know Dante Skarnecchia, the now former offensive line coach for the New England Patriots, he's going to be running offensive lineman drills for the combine. He's going to be helping uh, these uh, – college uh students if you are the college yeah, players right um you know with with these drills and he's going to work with them and say like this is what you need to fix this is what you need to work on and he's going to help them that that i understand but to to watch an offensive lineman run a 40 yard dash or the do the three cone drill um it, it, it's honestly just a waste of time, and honestly, I think it's a mockery of the sport. It's just a way for them to sell TV rights because people watch it for some reason. I, I used to watch it as a kid until I realized, like, this means absolutely nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know these players, and this is a great way of introducing them to a lot of NFL fans. And th- But in the grand scheme of things... Like you said, means absolutely nothing, especially when you have pro days at each college where a lot of these players, Chase Young, Joe Burrow, they're both not participating in the combine. And a lot of media are upset because they don't get to see them. And so they're trying to hurt their their uh, their trade or their uh, draft value, even though, uh, you know, they're already locked as the one and two picks. Well, and that's, that's the thing is like. Are you going to change from Joe Burrow because he's got small hands? No, he truly proved that he was the best college quarterback over the last year or so. I mean, right, and he, are you going to are you going to get off of Joe Burrow because he has he didn't uh, you know throw at the combine? No, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, you saw exactly. Or what are you going to not draft Chase Young? 
Like, are you exactly. going to get off of one of the the uh, most sought after defensive ends in I don't know the last decade or so? People are comparing him to the likes of J.J. Watt and the disruption of Michael Strahan. I mean, they they have put some high praise on this young man. Uh, and, you know, because he doesn't perform in the combine and you're really going to look at him and say, ah, maybe I'll go with somebody like who did perform like DeAndre Baker at corner, uh, not DeAndre Baker, uh, uh, Jeff Okuda at corner. Um, you know, I, I just I, I can't see these teams getting away from what they already know. This is going to either just confirm what they know or cause them to question it. And I, I don't really I haven't heard of a story where a team was like, oh, I saw something at the combine that I really didn't like and we didn't draft that player because of it. it, it it's all it's never gone that way. It's just confirmed what they already knew because they do such in-depth analysis leading up to this point that the teams are just kind of here to, to help these kids and interview them. And I, that's the worst part of this. And I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here. The interview process with these players is so absolutely abysmal. I think these teams ought to be goddamn ashamed of themselves. Some of the questions that they were asked, uh, you know, some of these players have already talked about the questions that they asked. I know, and, and it's not just the NFL. So, you know, you, we can't just solely put the blame on these 32 teams. Um, I, I've heard it come from the NBA as well. Um, some of the questions that they ask these players are at, downright atrocious. Uh, I remember a couple players who were asked, um, uh, I think it was, uh, would you ever sleep with your mom or do you find your mom attractive or something like that? How, how disgusting is that to ask a, a 20 to tw uh, a 19 to 21 year old if he would ever sleep with his mother? Like that, I, to me, it's just abhorrent. I, that's that's really the, what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, there, there's not much more to it than that. The combine doesn't hold much value. It it can be fun to watch in some aspects, especially when you look at the forty yard dash. It's probably the most appealing uh, thing that they do. Um, but other than that, it's a snooze fest, and it doesn't hold much value. It just gives something for the media to write about, and that that's what it comes down to. Uh, don't buy into a lot of the hype. Go based on the film that they uh, showed in college that they, you know, what they did on the field because that's all that matters. How, how you do in a real game environment uh, because that's what's going to transition over to the NFL. Absolutely. I, I just, I can't imagine why people want to see these kids in spandex running around a field. It, it, it doesn't it to me it just doesn't it doesn't prove what they sought for it to show um i think they need to go back and and change a lot of how things are done and it doesn't need to be on what is it a four or five day event i mean i think it what started today right uh, it's the, actually the, started the, on sunday well the the the, the the players have been there since sunday there's sunday to, it's sunday to sunday so but eight the days. visual part like for fans to be able to watch i think started today um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I know that the skills start on Thursday. Um, yeah. but I know they're, they're talking to teams now. Right. Right. And one of the things we heard that like sent people in a tizzy is that Henry Ruggs said like, he kind of like left the, the media on the fact that he spoke with new England and he said he, they had a very good meeting and then people were like, well, why is new England talking to Henry Ruggs? Why because, do you well, think? I mean, it is a very good chance that he does fall to, you know, pick 23. Well, there, it's not anything not even, happen. Right. You know, the but if not only are you the Patriots, but if you're the if you're Henry Ruggs, why would you ever say, you know, I, I had a meeting with the Patriots and it went terribly and I, I hate them very much. Like, why would you say that now? Now you're that team isn't going to take you. And even if you didn't want that, maybe other teams are like, "Ooh, I didn't like, didn't like that." You know, it's just it's stupid. I I do think we need to move on from from this topic. All right. So one of the things that has happened at the combine is that the NFLPA um, is currently discussing with their with the players um, the new CBA that the owners voted on and agreed to. Now it should be noted that the owners did not agree, uh, unanimously agree to this new CBA. Uh, but it did have enough votes to pass. 
Um, and we do, we do not and will never know who, which owners voted for it and or against it. Um, so the question is, do you, do you think that the new CBA will be figured out before the start of the new season? Um, do you think that the players agree to this new CBA that they've, the owners have agreed to? As of right now, this deal doesn't look like it's going to get done anytime soon. The players are finally being vocal about it and telling the media what it says in there that the players don't like about it. And we're now seeing all the, you know, the issues with health benefits and how the players get paid for injuries and stuff like that. There's a lot of issues there. The problem with this is the NFL owners have done a great job over the last couple CBAs of leaking to the media everything that's great for the players in it and nothing that is bad. But And the players, the NFLPA, have, have done a terrible PR job of saying why they don't like it. And that's why a lot of people have haven't understood why there's been lockouts in the past why and, and why players have you know in the end succumbed to the pressure of the fans and just everything outside uh, outside of the nfl uh into signing a cba that isn't in their best interest and we're, they're finally finally that they're they're speaking we can now see why there's issues and we can rally around them and we're not going to fight them when they're not, um, when they're, when they're holding out and they're, um, they're not just agreeing to whatever is thrown in front of them from the owners. What are some of the issues that you see that the owners put in the, in the new CBA that they just voted on? Um, there hasn't been much that has been leaked so far. I know Aaron Rodgers and I, I think it was JJ Watt, uh, were the ones who who spoke about it a little bit. It mostly has to deal with um, health benefits uh, post uh, the NFL um, that that they have a lot of issues with because the owners don't want to have much of a liability uh, mm-hmm. after that. And uh, that that's the I think one of the biggest things that they have an issue with. I know JJ uh, Watt also spoke about the fact that the um, the uh, owners will be receiving fifty one point one or 50.1% of the uh, NFL's revenue share where the players will um, will receive 49.9% of it. So that means amongst the 31 NFL owners, uh, for those of you who don't know, the, the uh, Green Bay Packers don't have an owner. They are owned by the NFL themselves. Um, so among the 31 NFL owners they would split 50.1% of the revenue created by the NFL and then the 1700 plus players would would then split the 49.9% and that's a big issue that these players i i've seen uh have with the with the CBA and that's one of the things that they are not willing to n- negotiate they they are determined to get a much bigger piece of the pie than they've already gotten just because of the massive split that they already have to take. If you're talking about these players taking, you know, um, 1700 players are taking 49.9%, uh, versus 31 taking 50.1. Even if it was 50, 50, the, the numbers still are completely skewed. Yeah. So I, I, I've always been on the player side with this, the players need to do what's in their best interest. I've been prepared, and you have as well, for the last year or two, that knowing that we're about to face uh, probably a, a year-long lockout, uh, holdout, whatever you want to call it, um, where they're, they're, we're just not going to have a- a NFL football because the players are going to do what they need to. They're, they're going to push back. They're not going to just agree to whatever the NFL owners want. Uh, this is... It's it's finally a, the you know the the players are finally doing what they need to, uh, to do what's best for their health, for for their families, for themselves. This is bigger than just the game of football. It it impacts every aspect of their life, uh, what they're able to do, what they're able to put in their bodies to help them recover, everything. It, this is an eighty-page document that the owners only want to show you a page or two. Uh, and just bits and pieces, you, you really have to get the full story. I'm really hoping that somebody leaks the entire document and that we can really come through it 
and even offer our thoughts on where what the players should do with this because there's only a few players that have seen the entire document the ones that have you know opinions uh in the nfl well the ones that are on the board of the nfl players association right right. so so for those of you who don't know the nfl players association uh is headed by um uh, a couple key players but and then they also have uh, a team of lawyers that are on their side they're they're a union so these are unionized workers and this is their union so we think of them as as different entities because they're players but essentially when the minimalistic side of it is that they are contractors working for these organizations and this is their union uh agreement uh, being the collective bargaining agreement. So when you put it in, in those terms, they want, um, this is the point where they have to start demanding the, the things that they want. I know a lot of players are looking for owners to be more involved in the, in donating to, uh, causes that the players are concerned about, including, um, you know, uh, free, uh, different, freedoms and uh, violations of rights and things like that. They want them to, to kind of open up their checkbooks a little more. Um, we talked about the fact that they want some of the revenue. They want the healthcare beyond the years that they play football. Um, and they not only for themselves, but they want it for their families as well. Um, and th- that's just a couple of the things that they have come out and, and spoken out against. Um, but there, this is, this is why I'm prepared for at least a year without football because I know that going into this, the players they they've been they were not happy with the way the last CBA went down. They got absolutely demolished by the owners. It it seemed like they didn't really understand what was happening. Um, and and like you said, one of the worst things that happened is that the owners, uh, especially uh, the face of the owners being Jerry Jones, um, leaked a lot of the details that he said, you know, the, these details look pretty in favor of the players and it turned a lot of the NFL fan base off and, and turned them against the players. The players didn't have any sort of, uh, way to communicate with the public. Now that social media is completely rampant with the, with these players and they have a platform to speak from, we're going to hear a lot more about what the other side is gaining and why the players are still fighting for, for what they believe they should be getting. Yeah. I mean, this is the last CBA until 2029. So this is something we're going to have to live with for the next decade. A lot of the players in the NFL, just about all of them aren't going to be in the league at that point. And they're going to, that that's why they need to make sure that they are set um, for the post their post NFL life with every you know things that'll help them health benefits and just you know there's a lot of issues that players have post their post career where they they have a lot of bills they uh, I think it's 65 percent of the NFL uh, doesn't make more than a million dollars you might be making you know average life average time in the NFL is three years say you're making a million dollars which is more than 65 percent of the league you and you you suffer injuries you're going to be going through surgeries after your career you're going to be going to many doctor's appointments if you don't have uh the right health insurance in place that's provided to you by the nfl and the the right help from the owners that you're going to be paying a lot of that out of pocket it's going to be extremely costly a lot of what you earned and what people think you know you're rich you can afford this it's going to go away really fast. The it's the stuff can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and your money can go away just so quickly. And that's why we see some of these players that ha- didn't you know, they didn't take good care of their money financially uh while they were playing and when they suffer uh financial shortcomings later on, you know, we see them on the side of the street and we ask ourselves, you know, what happened? How did they get there? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it doesn't have to be gambling or, um, you know, drugs or anything like that. It, it could be bad be, investments. It could be it, people it, you trusted that, that wronged you. It could just simply be that you had too many bills or you were living above your your 
a sustainable lifestyle and you just couldn't continue it anymore. Especially in, in an age now where everybody understands the impacts of CTE and how easily it is for somebody to develop it. You know, you develop it. If you've ever had a concussion, you have CTE in your brain. That That's just a fact. And so the more and more head trauma you have, the worse and worse it is. And we've, we've seen the impacts of some of these players. They're taking their own lives because they don't want to take the lives of their loved ones because that's, that's how this disease impacts you. It makes the worst quali- qualities of a human being come out and they don't know what to do with themselves. And without the right health benefits in place, they, they are going to either go bankrupt or kill themselves because there's, there's nothing left in this world for them. It, yeah, and it, it, it's sad and it's cruel to think that way, but that's just the hard facts. And, and one thing I, I want to stress, I, I said it before, but I want to reiterate it. The, these players are contractors, so they are not employees, right? So most of you listening out there have jobs. You are employees of a company. You receive health care from your company and they, you know, they provide you, whether you, whether you go through them or not is, is your choice, but they do provide you some sort of health, health coverage. Um, at, at that point, the, these players are contractors, so they are not privy to the same uh, uh, assurances that employees normally get um, because they are choosing to sign these contracts that allow them to negotiate salaries and things like that. So, so these are this is why there's a union, and this is why they have to collectively bargain and create an agreement with with the NFL owners because they they aren't employees and they need to make it an understanding that helps not only the top players that are getting paid, but also, you know, Joe Schmo, who is number 53 on the roster for the Cincinnati Bengals. He, he needs to have certain assurances as well. And, and that's why you're seeing these players come together. You're talking about 1700 players who are being impacted plus practice squad and so on and so forth. You know, th- there's a lot of, emotion and there's a lot of things riding on this and the players don't want to miss time because those are game checks that they can't get back right they're not like i said they're not employees so they don't have a weekly check they get paid based on the games that they play or the games that they're a part of and and that is one of the biggest issues that these uh, players are fighting for is they want more equality financially and uh as nick you mentioned they want a lot more uh, when it comes to healthcare and uh, taking care of their bodies post career, right? And I don't want to go into too much detail about this because it's been discussed quite a bit in the media. But you know they're looking at expanding the the season to seventeen games and making that seventeenth game a maximum uh, payout of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, that's only for that's only for people who are under contract prior to the CBA. Right. But, you know, someone like JJ Watt who's making $950,000 a week doesn't want to make $250,000 when he is deserving of a lot more money than that. So that that's where you get into a bit of a sticky situation though because though that's that's hurting people like Russell Wilson and and Patrick Mahomes and and JJ Watt and the top tier players. But again, Joe Schmo who is number 53 on the Bengals roster he he's not making 250k so he doesn't care that it's it's being capped at at week 17 and that's what the owners are hoping for they're hoping for animosity amongst the players so that they become a dysfunctional unit like they did back in the last cba and they're forced to agree to things that they don't want to and and that is one of the the biggest issues and we i mean if you want to have an in-depth discussion we can do a separate uh, podcast specifically on CBA negotiations and and I, I don't mind doing that um, because there's a lot to it um, and and no, there's especially if it comes out if someone leaks the entire document I would love to take a fine tooth co- fine tooth comb through the entire document and figure out where it goes wrong and where it can be fixed absolutely and I have a bunch of lawyer friends who are also avid uh, NFL fans and they would be more than happy to come on and explain some of the nuances that we probably wouldn't understand Um, because at the end of the day this is just lawyers creating documents for other lawyers to decipher for their clients that that's really all it comes down to that who wins in the end the lawyers that's all that's that's who wins um but uh, 
I, I don't want to get too far into it, but uh, if we do learn more information, I, I'm not opposed to doing a separate podcast uh, aside from our weekly to, to go through and really break down everything that the players and the owners are asking from each other. Absolutely. Um, uh, we're, we're nearing the end. I, I want to get in our, uh, our final topic here. Uh, it's kind of interesting and you know it's a storyline that a lot of people are going to be following throughout the NFL whether you're a fan of his or not um Don Yee the agent for Tom Brady has been discussing and meeting with teams at the combine to discuss his client and uh you know potential landing spots so uh I just want to throw it over to you uh what team do you think will offer the best deal for for Tom Brady yeah I'm gonna be short and sweet about this I think that with the the salary cap that a lot of teams have, and I think that it looks it looks like now the Lions are actually going to be going after uh, to attack Viola, and I think that's going to throw a wrench into the plans of the Miami Dolphins. So I think that the Miami Dolphins could be a legitimate landing spot for them with the ninety five million dollars they have in cap space. They're going to be they have a pretty solid team already. They have great coach and Brian Flores. They have three first round picks, all that cap space. Like I mentioned, they're going to, if you get Tom Brady there, you already have Devonte Parker. You're going to draft a running back. You're going to be able to go get a big name wide receiver. They have everything they need to bring in somebody like Tom Brady to make them a, a legitimate weapon. And that's something I think that he would be uh, inclined, uh, tempted with, especially, and his wife and family would be with a big city like Miami. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense in the sense that, uh, you know, he would. That you know he would fit in really well. You talked about Devontae Parker. They still have plenty of money to go after somebody like Amari Cooper or AJ Green. Really, Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they have plenty of first round picks that they can go after uh, Diggs for. Um, you know, they can find a running back in this draft or or in free agency, um, and really bolster the offensive line. And they, I mean, they have plenty of money to really spend and and get some key talented pieces. Uh, so the only issue I have with that uh, idea is that I do not believe Tom Brady would go to a division rival of the New England Patriots. I do not think he would want to see Bill Belichick two times a year. I don't think he would do it, not for Bill Belichick, he wouldn't do it to Robert Kraft. And and that's where his loyalties lie, is with Robert Kraft and everything that he's done to help uh, Gail, his, uh, Tom Brady's mother, and, and to help his family uh, over the last 20 years, they've developed a relationship that I just think that wouldn't allow for Tom to sign in Miami. Um, but I, I think there's only two possible landing spots for Tom. I'm going to make this quick. The first one is obvious. It's the New England Patriots. I don't, I, in this take, obviously he's not, I don't think he's going anywhere. He's been with one team for 20 years. He's been under one head coach. He has his, preferred offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels still there. He has a, a system that he understands and knows like the back of his hand. Um, and if they can sign him, he's already said that take it, he would uh, be able to take less money if they would use that money to go after a, a, to a top tier weapon and get him some offensive help. That's really what he's looking for in this, in, in this free agency. Um, the second place would be the Tennessee Titans the Tennessee Titans have the cap space to sign him and they have a need and a window to win. Now they have a, a defense that can, uh, to, that can stay with the best of them. And if they have a proven leader like Tom Brady over somebody like Ryan Tannehill, they could have easily been able to manage the game properly and go after the chiefs in, uh, in last year's playoffs. And they, that would have been, a Super Bowl for the ages, Mike Vrabel and Tom Brady versus Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, that would have been truly spectacular. And I think that Tom Brady could easily uh, make form a team with Mike Vrabel and in, in his former teammate and one of his best friends um, and, and truly help the Tennessee Titans get to where they want to go. I think, I think that's a definite possibility. Um, but I, I think that Ryan Tannehill has formed a special bond with Mike Vrabel. I was listening to Mike Vrabel earlier talk about him and 
they seem to be absolutely in love with him, the, the Titans organization. I've heard Derrick Henry speak so highly of him. It just seems like he, he might have found his perfect spot. And I think he's going to be a lot cheaper than Tom Brady with the Patriots and Tennessee Titans having a similar salary cap. I don't think that the Titans can offer much more than the Patriots can or are willing to spend. Um, so I think that's where he, they're going to find some issue. Uh, but I do think that it would be a good place for Tom to go um, because they are so close and he, he might be that missing factor. Yeah, I mean, I could easily see the Titans do, uh, going all the way with Tom Brady at the helm. Uh, you talk about Derrick Henry. That offensive line is top three in the league, and then you know you have great receivers that are there. My favorite rookie receiver from this last year, A.J. Brown, uh, who balled out. I, I think Tom Brady could have a lot of fun with somebody like that. Um, so And obviously they, they have some cap space and cap, cap flexibility where they can move around some pieces and uh, get more talent on the offense should they need to. And um, uh, Yeah, I, I think that it would be a, a, a very interesting spot, something to look out for. Absolutely. Um, I think that's going to do it for us for this week's episode. I thank everybody for taking the time to listen. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or would like us to speak about a certain topic that we didn't get to or something that interests you, feel free to leave a comment, uh, send us a message via social media. We're on Twitter or Facebook, uh, so, uh, Snapchat and many others, uh, can't name them all. Um, but if you have anything else for us, feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you until next time. We'll see you later. Later.